All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Privacy Please. I am your host, Cameron Ivey. And today we have a very special guest. His name is Kevin Thomas. He's the New York State Senator. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. This is a a very important uh, topic to discuss. Uh, Absolutely. We really appreciate your time and uh, really excited to have you here. Um, so I know you're you're kind of short on time, but I wanted to just open things up with allowing you to tell the listeners a little bit about yourself and how you got to where you are today and why privacy is is your forefront. Sure. So before becoming a state senator, uh, I was a legal services attorney. Um, I used to run a clinic in the poorest congressional district in the country, in the Bronx where I provided free legal representation to those who uh, get sued over consumer debt, uh, which uh, uh, routinely involves credit card debt, car loans, student loans. So after the 2016 election, uh, things went from bad to even worse. And I decided to run for office. And here I am as a state senator now, Um, and the chair of consumer protection, uh, which is a committee that oversees the uh, welfare uh, of consumers, uh, not just in my constituency, but for the whole state, that's uh, close to 20 million people. And uh, one of the first things uh, that I decided to uh, jump onto uh, was uh, privacy. Uh, because, uh, you know, I am 35 years old now, and I grew up in this whole uh, uh, new digital world, as we call it. And I've seen uh, so many abuses and uh, how our consumers were being exploited uh, for profit. And I wanted to do something about it. And uh, here we are with... uh, a whole range of uh, privacy uh, uh, bills that I've introduced and one major one that was signed into law last year. Right. So we can uh, we can dive into that. So the SHIELD Act, it's in force now. Uh, what was the impetus for it? And when did you expect we'll see some enforcement actions based on it? So in this ever-evolving world of technology, right, our data breach law was lagging behind. Um, and we were seeing these big companies um, literally just getting away with not having proper um, cybersecurity protocols in place. Equifax uh, is the best example I can give of uh, a breach that took place, consumers not knowing about it until the media reported Uh, So what the SHIELD Act uh, says, or how we say it, stop hacks and improve electronic data security, it modernizes the data breach law. So it broadens the definition of what is private information. It expands the definition of what is considered a breach. It expands the territorial scope and and it imposes data security requirements. Right. So how does it differ from from the New York Privacy Act? 
So this is specifically about data breaches, specifically about uh, keeping personal information and private information uh, um, private and, uh, and safe from potential hackers. The New York Privacy Act, on the other hand, is there to uh, protect the consumer against exploitation, to basically give the consumer more information about how their data is being collected, where it's being sent to, giving them control and access over the information that's being collected. And uh, with the new version of the New York Privacy Act, there are other ethics uh, uh, standards that they would also have to follow. What, what kind of impact has the CCPA had on privacy in the U.S.? I know that the, the New York Privacy Act is a lot more uh, intense, is what yeah. I've read. I mean, the United States did not have a uniform um, uh privacy law, like from the federal government, right? Right. So each state had to do what it needed to do to protect its its citizens. California was first, right, with the CCP. Yeah. This is the blueprint for the rest of the country to follow. Uh, since implementation of this law in California, other states have followed with their own version. Companies like Microsoft, Google, and Facebook have said that they will not only comply with CCPA in California, that's going to be the policy for the rest of the country. So that's huge. And given that, uh, you know, uh, the New York Privacy Act uh, is even bolder than CCPA, uh, it'll be the new model to follow once it is passed into law. So Kevin, Gabe Gums here. Appreciate you joining us. This is, this is just really awesome. Well, what kind of uh, teeth, if you would, does the law have? What, what are the ramifications for running afoul of it? Uh, which one are you talking about? I apologize. The, the, the New York app. The New York. So we have a right uh, uh, of uh, private action. And we also have the AG uh, that, uh, that allows the AG to file a lawsuit as well. So there are two ways that uh, the consumer uh, can get back at an infringement of their privacy here, either to uh, the AG or uh, private right of action. And, and what about educating the consumer so that they know these rights are available to them? Because oftentimes I find that it's, it's, you know, it's us policy wonks and geeks and professionals that are, are intimately in the know but, you know, my mom, who's a resident of New York State, it certainly isn't. Right. I mean, we've got to change the entire uh, uh, process here of uh, when we accept the terms and conditions. Most of us, when we uh, download an app, uh, we just click right through, accept all terms and conditions and right. along. Yeah. Now, uh, even the best of us who do uh, sit down and read uh, the fine print, uh, we we don't even understand uh, most of what they're saying there, right? Right. Because uh, it's just too technical in nature. So what I uh, had proposed to uh, do uh, through the New York Privacy Act is to make sure that the consumer in the very first uh, initiation of uh, the app, uh, they see in like uh, a very uh, 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 
how do I put it, uh, in a way that even a fourth grader can understand. You know, simple English, these are the bullet points, these are your rights uh, in a one-page format. And that's what needs to be done for all of, the, all of these apps going forward. Something that the consumer can understand, they click on, they see it, and they're like, whoa, okay, this makes sense. You mentioned also, uh, you know, kind of growing up in an age where you've witnessed these things firsthand, which is, I, I'm personally pleased to see that we have legislators that that get it from that perspective. That is to say, you know, they, they've lived this life, they grew up in a digital age, et cetera. Um, what are your thoughts on consumers being able to participate in the monetization of their own data? So beyond just, you know, giving approval to, to share it, et cetera, but being able to actually monetize. Cause today, a lot of these platforms, it's basically you use the platform for free and we use what we learn about you to then make money. Right. Uh, you, know, you know, thinking of just the traditional social media uh, exchange, if you would, but I don't know that that's a fair exchange. So I know uh, the former presidential candidate, Andrew Yang, had brought this up during one of his debates. Uh, Data is more expensive than a barrel of oil right now. And uh, those of us whose um, data is being mined uh, should have a property right on it. I mean, again, these are uh, things that we are still talking about. Um, there's nothing in the state legislature that would, uh, uh, you know, create a, a right like this, but it's an interesting uh, thought to have, and we need to do more to study it and the impact because uh, uh, there might be, a, 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 you know, an impact on minorities uh, versus uh, others. Um, that, uh, you know, would uh, opt into something like this. It's a good point. There tends to be unknown consequences when it comes to, uh, to that and, and whose data is more valuable than others and how that gets monetized, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I have a few more questions here. Um, uh, Kevin, would you, would you share with uh, the listeners and us what kind of goes behind the scenes during a legislative process? You know, what would voters be surprised to learn? So there's so much that goes on. Uh, we could stay here for an entire day and I can talk about it, but I'll summarize it in a few, right? Uh, so me as a senator, you know, I have a policy idea. I uh, sit down with my council and my uh, legislative director, uh, and we think of how to draft the bill. Um, and uh, we then, uh, you know, have a version of it uh, that uh, is drafted, and we file it. Um, uh, with uh, bill drafting, which is an internal process uh, in the state legislature. We get a bill number, and once that goes live, uh, we get uh, uh, lobbyists uh, and advocates uh, sending us, uh, you know, meeting requests, sending us memos of uh, opposition or memos of uh, uh, appreciation saying that they are they're in favor of such legislation um, for example with uh, the New York Privacy Act uh, uh, we had a number of hearings on it number of roundtables and we're still not done I mean this takes uh, a lot 
to put forward such a, a meaty piece of legislation, hours of work, uh, even if you are not hearing much about the bill, there is still so much going on in the background. Every other day, uh, we have uh, uh, those interested parties contacting us, uh, wanting to put uh, their own input on, uh, um, you know, uh, a, a provision in the bill, or they want something cut out. So there's a lot of talk in the background. Uh, there's so many moving parts here. And yeah. uh, once it's ready, uh, the bill goes to its appropriate committee in the state legislature. So uh, uh, this would go to uh, Consumer Protection, uh, the New York Privacy Act, which uh, I am the chair of. And then uh, the committee will vote to report the bill to the floor or to another committee that has some jurisdiction over it. And the full body then votes uh, uh, to pass it in the Senate. And uh, that's basically the same process in the other house, which is the assembly. And uh, finally, when we have two bills, uh, the governor's office uh, calls it up. Uh, they do their own analysis, and uh, if the governor feels like this should not be vetoed, he signs it into law, and uh, that's how a bill becomes a law. <laughs> we need a state version of the Schoolhouse Rock uh, bill on Capitol Hill. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so I, I think uh, you'd mentioned something about currently in the process of writing uh, legislation to create a code of ethics for tracking health data. Yes. Um, around this crisis. Can you kind of dive into that a little bit? Sure. So ever since uh, this whole health pandemic uh, started, I've been seeing a lot of, uh, you know, uh, companies foaming at the mouth, thinking about how much money they'll be making off of uh, these COVID patients, right? Um, in uh, South Korea and in China, where uh, privacy isn't that uh, important, I guess, you know, the government controls everything. Um, they have these apps that track uh, corona patients. And uh, uh, with the government tracking them, there's a whole other set of issues that uh, should be flagged. But here, uh, these companies uh, that do uh, start collecting the data, um, I don't want them using it for commercial purposes. So I had introduced uh, two uh, pieces of legislation. One was uh, uh, to prohibit the use of facial recognition uh, when it comes to tracking COVID patients, because I know um, Clearview AI was doing that. Uh, they had a couple of uh, clients uh, that uh, decided to um, uh, contract with them to track COVID patients through facial recognition. Right. Uh, and um, I put in a, a, a bill over that. The second one is, is more encompassing given that now um, Governor Cuomo has partnered up with Bloomberg um, and uh, his company to do the COVID tracking. So Bloomberg during his presidential election had uh, a company on the side that was going to do voter tracking. 
and he converted that into a, a coronavirus tracking kind of approach and app. Um, and uh, Google and, app, and Apple have uh, started their own little um, uh, you know project with Bluetooth on phones. So I want to make sure that uh, the data that they're collecting is anonymous. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, no GPS information goes to uh, telecommunication companies uh, for commercial purposes. And uh, we, need, we need some regulation here before it's too late because uh, people's uh, data, they're being exploited every single day. And uh, this health pandemic is... Uh, uh, another way for these companies to make money and they need to put people over profits for once now. You mentioned a couple of things in there that I, I as a technologist find extremely interesting, which is, you know, making sure that data is anonymous. We've had a couple of guests on the show that that talk about, you know, the, the sharing of data and, and how to otherwise anonymize it, right? Um, so that you can share that data safely, because there's certainly a case to be made for, especially when it comes to health research, sharing that data, not for profit, but for learning. Um, and I'm always curious from a legislative perspective, what what process do you personally go through to make sure that that you're informed as to what a good what what that means to be anonymized? What 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 exactly does a bill that's written to anonymize data look like and, and who do you consult in terms of privacy experts um, to to actually inform the bill? So uh, with my New York Privacy Act, for example, we've uh, dealt with uh, uh, advocates uh, uh, who've uh, been featured on The Great Hack, uh, you know, the ones uh, that used to work for Cambridge Analytica, as right. well as other data scientists. We get a lot of input from them. Uh, like I said, when I sit down with a policy idea uh, with my counsel, uh, we uh, have a draft version that we uh, send over to the advocates and parties involved, um, and uh, they give us uh, ideas as to how best to uh, do this. Uh, obviously, I'm not the expert on the technicalities on, on this, but uh, they keep us informed and tell us uh, what the best practice is in uh, keeping things anonymous and, and making sure that information is deleted after a certain time because these companies don't need to keep uh, these, this kind of health information on hand for um, you know more than 30 days. That's great. No, I'm very pleased to hear that. I, I appreciate that. Uh, so we're, we're getting ready to wrap up here. Um, why don't we? Uh, why don't we bring the bring the levity up a little bit and and, and maybe uh, get a couple of interesting things out there that uh, folks can learn about yourself as well. To Cam, was there anything you wanted to ask? Sam? Yeah, absolutely. So Kevin, um, I'm curious. I don't know if anybody else is curious, but uh, what's the strangest? or most positive thing that's happened during this pandemic for you and your family? Oh, uh, the, I'll, I'll tell you the most positive one here. So okay. uh, once I uh, was voted into office in 2018, um, uh, my wife was pregnant at the time and um, um, uh, we uh, had our first child um, one and a half weeks after my election. Oh, wow. So since then, I haven't had much time to spend with her. Uh, during this whole COVID shutdown and the stay at home approach, I've spent 
the most time with my daughter that I have since she was born. So that's the silver lining here for uh, the COVID shutdown for me, just uh, getting closer to my daughter. Yeah, that's so important. That's really, really great to hear. Um, I have a one-year-old as well, and mm-hmm. it's it's been nice being around him more than more than usual. Exactly. Um, what's your favorite snack? What's your go-to? Uh, I have uh, random chips around. Uh, <laughs> that's basically it. Just random Lay's or uh, um, you know cheese puffs. Just just is it that te- texture? <laughs> <laughs> It's whatever is around, really. I, yeah. I, don't, I need to get snacks. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And uh, what's your favorite drink? Alcoholic, non-alcoholic? Non-alcoholic. Be, I have to anything. keep a level head when I make policy decisions. So I absolutely as uh, as sober as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in these hard times. Yeah, 100%. Awesome. Well, again, uh, really, really appreciate your time, Kevin. It's awesome having you on here. It's really important to us and, and for our listeners and everyone out there just to learn more about data privacy and how important it is today. And we just really, really appreciate you coming on and, and sharing uh, your story. All right. Thank you so much for having me. This is a very important podcast and I uh, love uh, what you're doing with this. All right. So thank you so much. Thanks, Kevin. Take care. Oh, thank you. Thanks again for tuning in to Privacy Please. This podcast is brought to you by Spirion, protecting what matters most. Join us next week and every week as we delve into the intriguing world of security and privacy. You can email us at privacyplease at spirion.com and hit us up on our Twitter at privacyplspod. If you want to read more into these topics, check out our blogs on spirion.com. Again, I'm Cameron Ivey an all-around decent guy. Until next time.